Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining To The Point Podcast today, episode 120. I'm Rachel Lyon here with our host, Eric Trexler. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Rachel. I love you kicking the podcast off today. Thank you. This is an exciting new development, yes. And I couldn't be more excited for our guest today, Michael Daniel, CEO and president of the Cyber Threat Alliance, uh, 21 years in federal government. Uh, he worked in Obama's administration, Cyber Czar, serving as special assistant to President Obama, cyber coordinator on the National Security Council, helping bring together government, companies, non-government organizations on cyber initiatives. And now it's uh, Cyber Threat Alliance, your help doing the, the threat sharing, right, among organizations, which is so critical today. Uh, so welcome to the show, Michael. Really excited to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. Michael, I'm excited about this one. I, I feel like we don't talk enough amongst each other. We, we all have this shared problem, but we just don't effectively communicate. Public-private partnerships, private-private, we, we just, you know, the ISACs are about as good as we've gotten outside of the Cyber Threat Alliance. So I'm really excited to talk to you. Oh, well, thank you. Yep. I'm excited to be here. I, I loved one of the things that you said, too. I was looking at your website today and you know how uh, Cyber Threat Alliance makes member companies more competitive, not less. When we can share information, it makes us all stronger which I, I think is such a great, great position to have. I mean, you look at something like the recent, you know, solar wind, sunburst, supply chain attack, uh, and just the, the cascade impact among enterprises and, and government organizations. And that something like that, I think, just underscores the importance of threat sharing today uh, and how we just have to make each other stronger. Yeah, and I think the, you know, one of the underlying theories there is that what really provides a company the competitive edge in the cybersecurity market is not the raw data itself. Um, and that's because, you know, nobody has all of the raw data um, that you want, right? So in fact, actually making the argument that, you know, uh, buy my stuff uh, because of my data is actually like saying buy my product because I, my inadequate pool of data is bigger than her inadequate pool of data not a terribly strong argument. Mm. And so instead, the real competitive advantage comes from what you do with the data, that it's, you know, the competitive advantage comes from the processing, the analysis, the how you present it, how you interact with your customers. And so that's why we can make the argument from CTA's perspective that we're about enabling everyone to be more competitive. And then the other advantage is that that pushes the competition higher up the value chain. Uh, so that's more valuable to we want companies competing on what they do for customers. Um, that makes them that makes the customer better off. So and it makes the whole digital ecosystem better off. So it both encourages competition and makes the digital ecosystem better uh, in the long run. I love that. So what would yeah, you how would you categorize first, right? the yeah, Michael, how would you categorize the mission of the Cyber Threat Alliance? Like is it really just sharing? information across organizations or would you categorize it differently? So I would say that CTA has really three missions that we try to accomplish. Um, one of which is that we enable our member companies to better protect their customers and clients. So first and foremost, we're about, you know, we're a membership association. So we're about enabling our members to do a better job at whatever it is their mission is. Um, but we also look at our mission as enabling disruption. 
So how do we take the shared data that CTA has and better enable cybersecurity providers, governments, uh, all sorts of actors across the ecosystem to better disrupt what the bad guys are doing? Um, so how do we okay. work together to actually impose costs on the bad guys? And then third, we actually view ourselves as having a mission to improve the digital ecos the cybersecurity of the digital ecosystem as a whole. So, you know, we also advocate uh, for good cybersecurity policy because goodness knows there's a lot of bad cybersecurity policy out there. So we try to advocate for, for good policy uh, outcomes, but also working with different industry groups, other nonprofits to strengthen the whole digital ecosystem. So we're really about those three missions. Now, we, we use our, you know, information sharing as the, kind of the core of our operations. And so that's how we do those three missions. But we really view ourselves as having those three missions. And when you say information sharing, member companies will literally have the conduit, the ability, the legal legal protections and everything else to have researchers communicate with other researchers and share what they're seeing and what their customers are experiencing on the back end so that they can make better tailored, better targeted products. Absolutely. So we talk about doing our information sharing mission in two different ways. Uh, so one is our automated sharing. So we operate a platform that uh, all of our member companies contribute to. In fact, actually, one of our business rules is that our member companies have to contribute to that. Um, so if you're a member of CTA, you have to be contributing automated uh, threat intelligence. And that's primarily the technical uh, intelligence. So, you know, malware files, hashes, you know, and the binaries, URLs, domain okay. names, UTEXs, you know, all that stuff and their associated context. So MITRE ATT&CK, you know, uh, phase or, you know, where did you see that indicator? What family do you, malware family do you think it belongs to? That kind of thing. Um, so we have all of that automated context and we actually share somewhere between, you know, 175,000 to 250,000 indicators a day right now going through our platform. Um, and so all of our members can then take the data that's been shared by um, all the other members and take that back into their uh, into their companies and incorporate that into their products and services. Um, so that's the automated side of what we do. But you're absolutely right. There's also the human side of what we do, uh, Eric, which is the um, researchers can come together and they we actually convene them quite regularly uh, to talk about what they're working on. What are they seeing? We also have a process where member companies can share pre-publication versions of blog posts or research papers uh, under embargo with other CTA members um, and so that they can give them a heads up about what's about to come out. And our members love that because it gives them, a, you know, a couple of usually a day or two lead time to get ready for, you know, something coming out from one of our one of our members. Um, and yes, all of that is actually uh, enabled uh, by the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act of 2015 that provides the legal along with our membership agreements and other things that provides the legal framework for all of the sharing to uh, to occur. Um, and it's really it's really quite amazing to actually see, you know, uh, all these competitors uh, really get together to share in this uh, in this framework. Um, but, you know, uh, to do that, we also make sure that we exclude certain things. So, you know, we don't talk about individual companies products. We don't talk about um, pricing. We don't talk about customers. We don't talk about, you know, customer info, right? All of that stuff is out of bounds for CTA. And we work very, very hard to, you know, 
focus our sharing on the parts that are in bounds and exclude the parts that are out of bounds. Okay. And I would say that um, over the last few years, I've learned more about U.S. antitrust law and European antitrust law than I ever thought I was going to have to know. <laughs> I'll bet. Um, so <laughs> I'm sorry. You've got a front row. S- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yep. That's fantastic. Um, so you've had a front row seat, I mean, Michael, for, for many years here at the at the cyber forefront. And I'd be curious kind of uh, being so close to it, especially seeing it at, you know, national and, and kind of global levels of, of cybersecurity. How would you say it's it's changed in, in just the last, you know, kind of five to seven years, if you will? Because it, from my perspective, I feel like it's it's kind of, um, you know, just blasted itself out exponentially. But, you know, has it always been this bad and we're just you know, hearing more about it in, in the media today or kind of what's your perspective? You know, I, I think, Rachel, I actually think it is getting more intense is the way that I would would describe it. Um, you know, I think if you really kind of look at the issue, you know, when I first started working in cybersecurity in the mid 2000s or so, we had to work really hard to convince people that it belonged in uh, in the boardroom, right? That it was a topic that was worthy of a strategic discussion. I mean, even when I started in uh, as uh, President Obama's cybersecurity advisor in 2012, we were still, you know, there were still some people that were con- not entirely convinced, for example, that it belonged in the White House Situation Room as a topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, I don't think anybody has that, you know, view now, right? I mean, right. Um, the and clearly that's because of what has happened and how things have. Uh, developed. But I think if you really look at like, you know, how the world has developed, you know, you can sort of begin to pick out some big trends that are driving that, right? You know, one is we keep, we keep making cyberspace bigger, right? We keep, um, we keep hooking more and more stuff up to the internet. You know, uh, again, I go back to when I first started in this, and we thought that, you know, cybersecurity was wired desktops, and maybe some you know, laptops occasionally, right? You know, it's now it's your refrigerator, your car, your coffee maker, the doorbell, you know, the, uh, you know, the the, lighting, um, everything, everything, right? It's everything, you know, it's your car, you're the industrial plant, the chemical plant down the street, the, you know, um, and uh, so you've, you've, we've, we've created this universe of where the, the, the cyberspace itself is just enormous, right? And it just keeps getting more and more enormous. Um, it's also really easy for the bad guys to, to get involved, whether they're criminals or nation states, right? That you know, everybody's discovered that like getting, you know, cyber capabilities are relatively low barrier to entry. Um, and, you know, for the criminals, it's pretty profitable. Um, so, you know, there's a big expansion there. And then the other thing I just say is, you know, we keep we we've made ourselves more digitally dependent, you know, and I think back to when I first started in government in the mid 1990s. Right. You know, if the network went down, we just did something else for the day. Right. You know, we worked on our (laughs) non-networked computers. Right. right? We we picked up the phone and we actually called people. You know, we um, actually met with people in person. You know, I mean, it's and now if the network goes down like your company or your organization's dead in the water. Right. So we're, you know, both at an organizational and society level, we're way more vulnerable, way more digitally dependent. So anything that happens in cyberspace is now way more important. Do you combine all of those things? And I think that's why 
it has that feeling, Rachel, of that sort of exponential explosion is because it just, you know, all of those factors, you know, combine. Right. Um, and it's, it's a lot. It's, um, I, I always kind of keep wondering too, and, you know, you look at, you know, what we've had with the pandemic and, you know, remote work and everything that happened, but we still had access to all of our essential services, you know, but when you think about kind of the, the cyber disruptions to come that we haven't really seen yet, which are also kind of, you know, scary when you really think about it is, you know, just hitting the right grid, you know, and, and you can knock out power and, and all these other essential services for folks. And, you know, I know a lot of people kind of ask, you know, have we hit rock bottom? When are we going to hit rock bottom? And are we prepared for that day uh, when it comes? Yeah, no, I don't, we're, we're not anywhere sometime close soon to that. And lo- yeah, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> and it will be yeah, a bad, bad day, like, Rachel. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that, and it's not for people, it's not because people haven't been trying to think about it, right? There are different groups. You look at what the Solarium Commission has put together. You yes. look at, um, you know, there's a, the New York Cyber Task Force is out there. And I think some mm-hmm. of the, its work is, uh, be, it'll come out later this spring. And I think some of its work will will focus on that. And yeah, I think it's going to be very shocking to people when it uh, when it finally happens. And, and I suspect that it's going to happen in a way that, that none of us really are projecting right now. Yeah, I, I agree. It it makes me nervous to think about it, but, um, you know, it's, things are going to happen and you can't change them. But, um, you know, looking at the current administration and, and, you know, you having worked in the Obama administration and, uh, for so many years and, and having a front row seat there, um, you know, kind of what's your perspective? I know Biden's made um, a lot of financial commitments for modernization and uh, cyber initiatives uh, for his administration. I mean, what are, you, what are you kind of thinking of what the next four years could look like in, in evolution of, of cyber from a, a national policy and, and strategy, strategy perspective? Well, I think there's a, a, a few different things that this administration, the Biden administration, should really focus on. Um, one is, uh, you know, on the threat side, I think clearly. Um, we have to get our arms around the scourge of ransomware. Um, that has, you know, morphed from uh, essentially an economic nuisance into a full-blown national security, public health, and safety threat. Um, and so um, we, we simply cannot continue on the path we're on with, uh, with ransomware. And so we're going to have to get our arms around that. Uh, so that's going to have to be a policy priority. Uh, but I think beyond that, um, the administration really needs to think about how it does operational collaboration. So how do we move beyond just information sharing between the government and the private sector and move into actual coordinated operations against the bad guys? Now, you've seen this, right? I mean, we, we've, we've got models for this. This is not completely novel. Uh, we've been doing this for years. In fact, actually, you just saw like last week, there was some action against Emotet, right? Um, and some of that involved, you know, some private sector actors. Um, but we really need to scale that up so that that's happening at a frequency and at a pace that will actually impact the the adversaries. Um, and then I think uh, so. I think there's a whole set of things that the you know administration is going to need to do there to build out that to solve policy problems that exist in that space uh, and to overcome. Uh, some of the challenges there. Um, and that's that's a multi-year uh, effort. Um, I also think that um, we really have to be looking at, you know, 
what do we actually want the standards of care and other things in the uh, private sector to be? What is the the level of what is our expectation of cybersecurity that companies and other organizations are going to have? And we will probably have different expectations of, you know, uh, Flo's Flower Shop versus, you know, a, you know, something that, you know, Duke Energy or a major financial institution or some, you know, Aetna Health, right? We're going to have different expectations for those those entities. But we really need to get at that point so that we can actually decide. And that will take a lot of issues off the table in terms of, you know, our, we don't want to re-victimize the victim, but we don't want to provide a moral hazard for, you know, not doing cybersecurity. And the reason we're in this dilemma is because we don't actually know what the right level of cybersecurity investment is. Um, so we need to work towards uh, we need to work towards that. Um, inside Michael, the federal you government, think, you're absolutely right. Sure. Do you think CMMC is a is a good step in that direction, at least as it relates to the DIB and some of the companies that we'll be working with DHS? I think it's actually a step in the right direction. I think that you know I'm I'm sort of on the fence about certain aspects of it and how it's been. Um, and how it's been implemented. But I think the fundamental concept behind, you know, the Department of Defense saying, look, if you are going to supply us with products and services, some of which comes with embedded, you know, uh, IT and software and things like that, and some of which is IT and software, you are going to have to demonstrate for us how you meet certain cybersecurity uh, standards and levels. Um, okay. I absolutely think that is the right, the right concept. Um, and I think, frankly, more of the federal government's going to have to move in that direction. Now, I think, you know, you can then we can get into the debate about like, is the level one, two and three, is that all set correctly? And, you know, so forth and so on. And, and there's legitimate discussion among, you know, vendors and providers about how DOD is rolling that out. And absolutely, those need to be dealt with. But I think the underlying concept is absolutely right. Um, well, as we're talking about commercial more industry, more companies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Eric. And I think that that's, you know, it, it, the you're going to see other, uh, by the way, you're going to see other companies, you know, uh, integrators and things doing that um, themselves, actually, with their own customer base. So. Um, but I think the other couple of things for the administration, one is they've really got to continue down this path of consolidating and um, cybersecurity services inside the federal government and, and modernizing the government's um, IT, um, not just for cybersecurity purposes, but just so they can do service delivery uh, better. And then I think internationally, we need to focus on, you know, building up our ability to collaborate uh, across international jurisdictions um, and to work together to, you know, impose costs on cyber criminals and work more effectively in, in that regard um, and really, you know, rebuild some of our international alliances there. Yeah. What I'd call deterrence. I feel like we, we miss on the deterrence side quite frequently. Yeah, it's absolutely. And yeah, yeah, there's no question about that. Really? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's incredibly challenging. Um, and you know, you, there are a lot of different, um, you know, there's countries with a lot of different capabilities out there, um, whether you're talking about from a law enforcement standpoint or a cybersecurity standpoint. And so um, it's a very complex international environment, but it's definitely one that um, 
you know, we've laid a lot of good foundations in over the years and we need to continue building on that. You know, Eric, we had talked about in the past, and this might be kind of a, a lofty goal or, you know, um, will we ever get to something like a cyber UN, you know, where there is this global cooperation, just given the amount of disruption that can happen, you know, from a cyber attack on on any nation, right, to the community, to the global economy and what have you. I mean, is is there kind of like this ultimate end state that we could get to in, in terms of global cooperation or uh, is is that going to be just too hard? Well, I think that on that score, I think that we will eventually get to some uh, some norms of behavior, right? That we will there will eventually emerge kind of an understanding about how you're going acceptable uses of cyber capabilities uh, and offensive cyber capabilities, and you will always have the outliers who you know don't adhere to those. But I think by and large, um, the international system will drive in that direction because it's actually in most countries' interest most of the time to have the international system be stable. Um, and so uh, I, I think you will you will see that. And um, but I do think that you know one of the things that uh, is very interesting is that. You know, the U.S., we have had a very bind and the West in particular, we have a very binary view of of war and peace. We tend to think right. that either you're in a, one of those two states, you're either right. at war or you're at peace. Um, and most other countries actually don't quite view it that way. They actually view it as a more of a continuum of of conflict. And so mm -hmm. I think we are going to have to get used to kind of low grade conflict in cyberspace. Um, in a way that we don't see, you know, on land or at sea or in the air, right? right. That, that cyberspace is going to be a domain where there's some sort of low level conflict sort of all, almost always going on. And I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, it's putting some boxes around that so it doesn't like sort of escalate into a broader conflict is going to be really important. Well, and I think we're in that now, low grade conflict consistently. Yep. Right. Yep. I would agree with that. And I, I don't think that that's going to change over the, uh, you know, over the near term. And I think part of what we're trying to do is put in place the international structures to contain and control that level of conflict. So it, it so that it remains manageable and doesn't become unmanageable. Sorry, Eric, so Mike, Michael, I have a question <laughs> and, and, yeah, there's there's a little lag for some reason. I apologize. Uh, um, can you hear me now, Rachel? No, we can hear you. Yeah, your your video was just frozen. That's all. Okay, perfect. Oh, perfect. So, so Michael, I have a question. From your time on the National Security Council staff, advising the Biden, Biden administration on cyber, what's the one thing you wish you could have gotten across or, or done that you just weren't able to do because the rules are so tough in this cyber world we live? Like one recommendation, one whatever, what would it have been? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I think, you know, when I look back at, you know, we accomplished a lot, obviously, in the Obama administration and, and really moved the ball, I think, way down the field. Um, but I think a few of the unfinished pieces of business that we had was um, one was one actually, to be to be honest, um, I would say that the Trump administration actually uh, maybe even despite itself, carried forward uh, quite robustly, which was improving election security. 
Um, you know, because that really emerged very late in the Obama time. And I don't think we fully appreciated the impact of the digitization of our uh, voting process um, uh, that the threat would go up there. And so I actually have to give credit to people like Chris Krebs and, um, you know, Kristen Nielsen and and all those that that continued that forward and did really good work in that area. Um, I I do think that there's, you know, a couple of other areas where um, I really wish we had been able to really start to think about how we could have um, worked with state and local governments even more effectively because Mm -hmm. they are in a very weird position uh, a lot of times, which is that, you know, many of the issues, they're affected by many of the same issues that affect both the federal government and the private sector, but don't have nearly as many resources as the federal government. Um, And so I, I still think that you know, working through some of those, again, they've, we've made progress, but continuing to work through a lot of those issues with the state and locals are, are going to be really, really important. Um, and then I would say, finally, I think this this idea of the kind of the standard of care, um, that is something that evolved um, a lot during our, our time uh, in the Obama administration, but we still need to make more, a lot more progress on that. Michael, when you talk about standard of care, what can you articulate that a little more, uh, like amplify that a little more? What, what do you mean exactly? What should we be thinking about? Sure. Um, it, it's what is kind of, it means what is the minimum level of cybersecurity sort of activities, investment that we would expect a company or an organization uh, to do? Um, and we, you see this in a lot of other, you know, industries that, um, and it helps define your level of, of liability. And it enables you to say, if you have been providing a reasonable standard of care, um, then you know, if something bad happens, right? Something happened, you can't be held liable for, um, for that, right? Okay. And sometimes that has to be adjudicated in court, but you know, and the example I give is that, you know, we don't want to, um, we definitely don't want to, you know, re-victimize people. But if you are, you know, if you were a, uh, if you managed a you store it, you know, location, right? And you said, you know, come store your stuff at my secure location. Um, and some criminals broke in and stole things, right? Still go after the criminals, absolutely. But if the customers then started looking and saying, you know, you said your place was secure, but you didn't have any fences, you didn't have any cameras, you didn't have any locks on the doors, um, maybe you weren't meeting the minimum standard of care for a secure, you know, storage. I love facility. that. Right. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, now if if all of that was in place and the criminals still broke in because, you know, they were from Mission Impossible three or whatever. Well, OK, <laughs> you know, um, but we've got to solve this issue between we don't want to revictimize uh, the the victim, the victims. But at the same time, there is a level of cybersecurity investment that we should expect companies that hold our data to have. Mm-hmm. And so how you navigate between those two things, I think, is by that defining that standard of care so that you have that level of expectation of what we're going to expect our companies and other organizations to do for their cybersecurity and what is be, what is unreasonable for them to do, that they're not going to be able to be prepared to take on the Russians or the Chinese by themselves. Um, but there is a minimum level that we should be expecting organizations to uh, to do in terms of cybersecurity in today's, you know, in today's world. Who should, who should help them when, let's take Sony, for instance, you know, North Korea comes after Sony, who should help them? Is that DHS, the local police, FBI, private? Well, I think it's going to be a combination of, of those things, right? Because, um, 
you know, there's always going to be, uh, for a company like Sony, they're going to have private sector resources that can help them. Uh, it's probably not the, the local uh, state or local government, but it is, you know, a combination of uh, DHS uh, and uh, law enforcement, primarily FBI, uh, on the federal level that will be, um, you know, that will be doing the, the investigation and doing the you know, assistance when you have a major incident like that. Okay. And then what if it's not Sony? What if it's the local pizza franchise? Or right. Sony? And I think that, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, you know, um, that's one of the key questions, right, is how do we actually get more resources out there to organizations that aren't going to rise to the level of a national security incident, right, that, um, you know, uh, and I think that's where we need to begin to empower much more of our um, state and local governments to provide those kinds of services. You're starting to see some nonprofits that specialize in that, things like the Cybercrime Support Network that are designed to help organizations like uh, you know, a small business uh, actually deal with cyber, you know, cyber incidents more effectively. Um, but that's a piece of the ecosystem that we really need to, um, that we really need to build out because there is that broad question of what am I supposed to do if I'm, you know, Sal's pizza joint or uh, whatever, and I've been right. hit with a cyber incident. Right. Yeah. You're used to pepperoni or extra cheese. And now you're like, what's this ransom? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I don't really understand. Yeah, it, that's right. But I'm out of business. Right. Yep. So, 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 uh, sun, uh, sunburst one to 10 scale. How significant is this as a, as an event in our time here in your mind? So I think it's probably about an eight or a nine in terms of significance, but not for some of the reasons that, that people think. Um, I think that it is, uh, you know, so far, um, all of the evidence shows that that was an espionage campaign a really yep. sophisticated, enormously broad, really well thought out espionage campaign. Um, and so as a result, I think the impact, uh, and I'll actually differentiate your question a little bit, Eric, I'll say for the government, it's an eight or a nine. I think for your average, you know, even up to large enterprise, maybe a five, um, you know, because the, um, the real impact is on those that were actually exploited, which was actually a very, very small number of the right. number of organizations that downloaded the Trojan. Um, now, I do think uh, as a broader standpoint, it's, it has an implication for supply chain security um, and thinking more about, you know, we were just talking about like DOD and the, the CMMC, right? Um, and how you're going to need to do a better job of managing your supply chain security. Um, but at the same time, I, I've been very clear with a lot of people to say, you know, that is still, if you are, again, going back to Sal's Pizza Joint, or even if you're sort of a Midwestern bank or a, you know, manufacturer somewhere, you know, in, in uh, you know, Montana or Washington State, you're probably not going to run into, you know, a solar winds or a sunburst actor, right? You're going to run into ransomware. You're going to run into a business email compromise. You know, you're going to be dealing with phishing. And so what I don't want is for the entire cybersecurity ecosystem to over-rotate on to sunburst. The sunburst right. when in fact, those other threat vectors are still way more common and are going to impact way more people um, you know, than the supply chain compromise. Now, if you're the federal government, you've got a whole different, you know, um, or if you're one of the ones that's actually been targeted by that because of your circumstances, that's a totally different 
threat picture and different perspective. Different perspective. Yeah. Um, but it's why I think the industry as a whole does not need to over rotate on on sunburst. It's pay attention to it, really important, but don't over rotate on it. Now, I do think some of the cloud security components that we're hearing yep. about, uh, you know, the, the the techniques, the TTPs that were used, I think will make us better, regardless if you're Sal's Pizza or the federal government. Last question from me then. If we if we switch Sunburst from espionage to sabotage, would that change your rating? Oh, absolutely. No, then you yeah. then you know, then that goes off scale, right? Um, and that's a very that's why I've been very clear to always say based on what we know so far, right? I mean, if we discover that there were in fact little presents left behind by the you know, adversary given their access, uh, you know, given their access, like that totally changes the picture of this, right? Because, okay. and that is why I don't totally drive it down even for the ones that weren't affected by it, because the potential for using this kind of access to cause widespread destruct, you know, destruction um, is, is very real and very, very dangerous. And so that's why I think that, um, you know, we do have to really be looking at that broader supply chain security um, and it's again, it's why I come back around to this standard of care and other things about what we expect, you know, pieces of our, you know, ecosystem to to do. Wow, that's a great point. I, I we could dig into that topic of standard of care. I think, you know, for a, a completely another episode. I think that's a a really great point you make and something that folks do need to start thinking about. Um, I would like to, you know, kind of close our our time together. Um, I do know you, you have a virtual panel coming up, I believe with some of the founders of the Cyber Threat Alliance. And I would love to give our listeners a chance to to learn more about what you guys are going to talk about when it's happening, how they can access it. Um, do you have any of those details you can share with our, our folks? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So coming up on uh, February 17th, um, and you can find uh, the links and things on our website, um, cyberthreatalliance.org, um, as well as on our LinkedIn page and our Facebook page. Uh, you know, we, we try to cover the bases. Um, and, you know, I think really what I'm going to be talking to the, you know, some of the founders about is really both sort of, you know, looking backwards, sort of what, what inspired you to actually take this, take this, take this risk, right. Right. Of, um, of some competing companies saying, you know what, we're actually going to try to do business a little bit differently and actually, you know, collaborate in this area while still competing over here. Um, and sort of what drove them to that, but then also looking forward where, you know, yeah. there, these are some people with some really important uh, perspectives on, uh, the entire cybersecurity industry, and so where do where are things going? Where are nonprofits like CTA going to fit in, and that sort of thing? So, oh, um, I think it should be a really interesting, uh, really interesting discussion. I, I'd love to hear that. I will be joining yeah. that. We'll link to it in the show notes, also. Yes. So absolutely. for any of our listeners who are hearing about this, we, we will link. Just look in the show notes, and you'll be able to uh, register and join the event. Absolutely. Well, I, I love looking into the future of cyber, Michael. Yes, it's, uh, <laughs> with the crystal ball. Right? We need yeah, some help. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, with that, thank you so much, Michael. This has been an, an awesome conversation. Would love to have you back again soon. Uh, I think there's a lot more we could double click into. And it's it's really exciting to hear all the great work the Cyber Threat Alliance is doing, the very important work that you're doing. Um, and we definitely look forward to the February 17th virtual panel. Um, and again, Eric, as always, it's very exciting to continue this journey with you on the podcast. It's and, great, uh, <laughs> Rachel. It's great. Michael, if you could just fix the cyber problem for the world, we'd be very happy. So thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. 
Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 